Um, as I get situated up here, um, turn to a neighbor, someone around you, maybe some you don't know. Um, tell them kind of your routine for getting comfortable at home. Whether you know you change, you put sweatpants on, just tell them, tell them that. All right, let's come back. It does have something to do with what we're going to talk about tonight, um, so that it does it does make sense. So we read the Heidelberg Catechism earlier. Um, the Heidelberg Catechism, for anybody who doesn't know, it's this book that was written about was written 500 years ago um, by a bunch of German guys, and um, it's something that we have found that's helpful in our church and our tradition. Um, uh, we say in our tradition that the Bible is clear in what it means to be clear uh, in, which is essentially that you know God is in control of everything. Um, God has saved you from your sins, and you are called to follow him and to live for him. And that's what the Bible is very clear. You can start reading, and you will get that. Jesus died for your sins, and he wants you to be a part of his family. The, but there are some other things in the Bible that maybe aren't as clear, maybe because, you know, there's a 2,000-year difference of parts of it, um, otherwise because there's, there's passages. So there's some things that's not as clear. And so, you know, in our tradition, we find it helpful to kind of use other, some other resources to kind of help interpret the Bible and to kind of see, you know, wh- what do we kind of see, believe on things? How do we interpret what the Bible is saying? That's kind of what we, we think the Heidelberg Catechism is good is helping us interpret some of these other things in the Bible that are maybe harder to understand. So as we um, think about some of the things in that, let's first turn to kind of the foundation of our source in the Bible. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. I'm adding a couple verses, 12 through 20. It's on page 809 in the Pew Bibles, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. It's uh, an interesting passage, but it does relate to to what we're going to talk about tonight. So, hear these words from 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? 
Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! You do not know that he who unites himself with a a prostitute is one with her in body. For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The word of the Lord. This is the passage that the Heidelberg Catechism gets the opening statement from, you are not your own. It comes from this passage having to do with about sexual immorality. And I find that incredibly fascinating. I don't know about you, it just seems like this passage that a lot of us know, that a lot of us find a lot of comfort in, um, this particular section of the Heidelberg Catechism, when you read the passage in context, you're like, like they just like ripped it and it just like it completely changes the meaning almost but i don't think it changes if if we think about the passage and we think about it this is just going to be a night of broadening our context if we just broaden our context of that passage in corinthians it's going to help us better understand maybe what paul's talking about and so in the, the Corinthian church, right, the, the Corinthian church, Corinth, this was a church that Paul helped plant. He uh, planted it in his ministry as he's coming down. We read in Acts. Uh, he goes from Athens down to Corinth, and he sets up shop there for a while. Literally, he was helping, you know, make tents and things like that. And he's, he's um, ministering to the people. He's f- helping this church form, figure it out. And it's 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 in a city that would, have, would be kind of um, what... You know, we would call like pretty hip, pretty cosmopolitan. Like imagine, um, you know, the church in Corinth, kind of like a San Francisco almost, right? You know, it's where the startups would have been. It was a fairly young city for that time. The Romans came. They took over an ancient Greek city and they made it like a new Roman one. So there was a lot of new things happening. It wasn't the big main city like Rome, but it was kind of like a secondary big city, kind of like a San Francisco. And it was also like a, a hub for all this international activity all around the Mediterranean. So, you know, you can imagine the young Corinthians, you know, they had just got out of college in Athens, and they want to find themselves, man. So they had head, head down to the big city of Corinth where, you know, all the cool ethnic food, like the Egyptian food and the, and the, the Turkish food, you know, like you, you don't want to eat the Greek food because that's what your parents ate, right? You want to eat the cool new stuff to show that you're, you're like a hip person. And that's kind of what Corinth would have been like. These people who were highly attuned to the culture of that day, right? They would have known what was what was in, like what what the uh, what the the philosophies were at that time. Probably a lot of them were highly educated, or you know they were slaves to people who were highly educated, or actually in that time some slaves were highly educated themselves. So this is kind of the context in which Paul's writing this passage, and Paul is trying to provide this, actually, like, this part of the message is pretty uncool, this idea that, like, you can't do whatever you want. You might think you can, you know, like, sleep around with any person in in the neighborhood, but that's just not how this works anymore. 
And I understand all your philosophy professors were saying, oh, everything's permissible. You can do whatever you want. Paul's reacting to those claims that they had. Like, no. Jesus sets us free, yes, but that doesn't mean you can just go ahead and do whatever you want. Jesus sets us free from sin, from evil. And you don't just then go about falling back into that same evil that you were set free from. And so Paul, and we, pick, we can read it here in this passage, he's picking up on the people of Corinth, these people who were kind of seen as cultural elites of the day, that they're buying into everything that their culture has to offer. They're buying into this message that do whatever you want as long as it doesn't affect other people. I think it's a message that a lot of us have heard before as well in our society. And that, that's one thing I think, you know, uh, one of the things that I, you know, like at the Heidelberg Catechism, it helps us understand the Bible because there are passages in the Bible that, especially when we look at them from 2020, they're weird and it's hard to understand. But actually, this one is pretty applicable to our society, right? We still, we still run into these issues. We still live in a society that tells us we're individuals. The things we do, as long as it doesn't hurt any other people, it's fine. We can do whatever we want. But here's the secret that I think a lot of us have come to realize. Everything we do affects other people. You know, right? And it's a matter of, like, the things that we do. Is it going to affect people positively? Or is it going to affect them negatively? And then how negatively, right? Um, I have made... I realized when I was working at the mental hospital, um, I kind of came to the realization that, um, and this, I, it, this sounds really like, I hope it's like, it's, it shouldn't be something that's like super negative, but um, when it comes to parents, it's not a matter of like, if you're going to screw up your kids, it's more of like, how much are you going to like mess your kids up, right? So, um, I mean, I can, I yeah. <laughs> Some people are like, and other people are like, eh. but okay. Um, so, but that's just it, right? I think that we've all kind of under, we all have come to a place where we've wrestled with this idea of we want to do certain things. We don't want to be held accountable. We don't want to worry about what other people are thinking. You know, and even we take that sometimes, we take that baggage that our culture tells us, we take it into our faith, right? Yeah, we would like. We following Jesus is great for all the like the beneficial things, right? Like the saving grace, um, you know, set, being set free from punishment of death, and all these things. Like that's all really cool stuff. Until we have to start, you know, putting our money where our mouths are, and we start thinking like, I if I do this, like this could really like hurt someone's feelings, or it could really you know mess my relationship. I have to start. <laughs> Our faith is based on this idea that like, I have to be very considerate. And not only considerate, I have to love other people. And sometimes, I just don't want to love some people. Sometimes, I want, especially when you, know, like, like you feel like you're, ha- you're having a rough time, I just want to worry about myself. I don't want to have to worry about anybody else. But Paul, he reminds us, We're not our own. We're not our own. We're not our own. We belong to God. That's great. But we also belong to each other in the church. And that's actually a little more scary. Like, that's the scary part of this whole thing. 
is that we belong to other people. And Paul makes it very clear to the Corinthians, um, and he's actually what he's doing, and he does it all over his letters, is he's using slave imagery, right? Um, something that would have been super common to everyone in the Roman Empire. Probably a lot of the people in Paul's church were slaves. A few of them probably owned slaves. And so this was something that would have been super common. They, uh, the church, he's telling them, you're bought at a price. Jesus bought you. You are owned by him. You're not your own. You're not a free person running around who can like make their own decisions. You are bought by Christ. And we know what the price of that was. You know, he suffered on the cross for that. And that's what it means. Jesus is your master. And I know, I mean, I, I actually, I'm not going to lie, I really don't like that because I'm always just like, I do not like the idea of me being a slave. Like, yeah, like, co-worker with Christ, great. Slave, no. I don't want to be that. But that's what Paul's telling us. And he's reminding us that who better to be our master? The one who pays the ultimate price for us. The one who died on a cross to save us. The one whose whole being, whose whole purpose is to sacrifice himself for others. Who else would you want to be a master? Who else would you want to own you? And that's what Paul is really highlighting here to these Corinthian church. Yes, there are certain things that are off limits now. And that may seem like you're losing your own freedom and your own agency. But he's telling them too, you never really had it in the first place. You were chosen by God. And before that, you were, you know, you were slaves to evil. So, isn't this a better alternative? But what I think is really interesting, and, it, and that is ultimately, like, that is quite comforting, but what Paul continues to, to point out in this passage, and he points it out in a number of different places, is that he uses that imagery also of the body, right? That, and he's, he's doing that partially because he's like making sure, like, you know, obviously, like, sexual sins, like, the body is kind of an important thing for that, and and also later on in this, in this letter, he talks a lot about the body of Christ around communion. And this is where we get a lot of that stuff. But he's also telling us, not only is Christ your master, you're a part of his body. You're a part of the body of Christ in the church. And that the things you do, the physical things that we do affect our, each other as well. And so... We come together as a body. We're brought in. We're bought at a price to come into Christ's body. And so we can serve Him. And we can live for Him together as members of the body. To find comfort in that place. And I think what Paul is pointing out is that this ethereal concept of comfort that, you know, is hardwired in our brains to achieve. This idea that, you know, we want to be safe and secure Paul's saying, Christ gives us that yes. And if it, it just ended there and saying, like, you've been bought by Christ, you're set free, find comfort in that, that would be comforting. 
But sometimes you need more of a tangible feel to that. And he's reminding us that we're a part of Christ's body and that we can find comfort in his church with the people around us. Remember, we're not our own. We're, we're, we hope we're like, we're a part of Christ. He owns us where he's in charge. He calls us to be a part of a community. And that can also be quite scary, right? Like, it'd be one thing to be like, you know, told what to do by, you know, the perfect, you know, the only perfect person, the sa- our Savior, the one who loves us more than anyone else, the one who died for us on the cross. But to be told that also, you're also, you're, you're also supposed to be in community with people. People who mess up. People who can really find, you know, who can do things wrong. But people who know what you're going with. Who can put a tangible presence on what it means to be a follower of Christ. In a time when there were very few other followers, at a time in the church where, which is still true in some parts today, at a time where your family, if they found out you're a Christian, forget it. We don't want, we don't want anything to do with you. That was the, the good option. The other option was they tried to kill you. And so Paul is reminding us that Christ, he provides us this comfort through what he does and through the people that he places us with. The people that he has also bought at a price. I want to, I want to be careful because I don't want to insinuate that um, just because you're a part of the church, just because you're a follower of Christ means that you're going to be comfortable or that you're going to be comforted and you're not going to worry. Like You're just going to like never have to worry about struggles. We still, I, a lot of us know, struggles still come. But that's why we're part of a community. That's why we're called to be brought into this body, the body that body of Christ, His people, people to follow and serve Him. Would you please pray with me, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? We come before you, Lord, because you've called us to be in this place. You've bought us at a price. We're not our own. We're yours, Lord. And we're yours together. Just as we serve you, we serve each other, we learn from each other, we grow with each other, and we confront one another, all in the form of love, the self-sacrificing love that you show to us, that you'd be willing to empty yourself and become nothing, and be willing to die on a cross to save us from our sins. So Lord, we pray that that is a comfort to us this week, to be reminded that we're not our own, that you are in control of our lives, and that we're not our own, and we belong to a community of your believers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.